Welcome back to the Professor Penn Podcast. This is David Penn, episode number 73. Uh, this is the 13th of November, if I'm not mistaken. Supposed to date stamp these now, and I think, oh yeah, it is. That was a great idea from a, a viewer. It's November 13th, 2023, episode 73, Demolition. We're going to talk today about the demolition job being done on Western culture. And uh, it's a very successful effort. goes back a long time. It's so successful, in fact, that um, to my meaning-making machine in my brain, the only way I can see this being so effective, since it's happened over such a long period of time, does seem to have a little bit of a supernatural coordination. This is happening on so many different levels. We're going to go through uh, some of those issues today. I want to thank Free People Radio for giving us this platform. Please go to freepeopleradio.com and give us your support. We're asking for it. I'm not shy to ask for it. You know, I'm watching across the whole conservative media universe, and everybody's asking for your money, asking for my money. And that's um, really uh, a challenge for all of us, a challenge for me. Who and what do I support? And I can only say uh, with great humility, if you are moved by what we're doing here at Free People Radio, setting up a political action community and featuring young political rising superstars like Royce White, please support Free People Radio. We need your help, and thank you for doing it. Uh, I also want to always uh, direct you to precinctstrategy.com. That's precinctstrategy.com where you can go for a tutorial on everything you need to get into the game of politics. And boy, we need you to get in the game because uh, the game is uh, <laughs> its uh, quite complicated. We need people. You know, it's interesting. It's been a week since that last election now, and the one issue that is sticking in my mind and troubling me and, and making me quite a complicated person is only uh, 20% of the American citizens voted. 20% voted. And I'm asking this audience to get involved in the parties, be it Democrat or Republican. So I just want to ask a question of you, the viewer. And I have hundreds of people that are watching. And Free People Radio has hundreds of thousands of people that are watching. Did you vote? Did you vote this past week? Did you vote? Put in the live chat. If you didn't vote, you can put that in the live chat too because I'm interested in what I can do to motivate people just to vote, just to vote, let alone get involved in the parties. Let's just dial it back to voting. It's hard to believe we can even be talking about such an issue when we're in such a exposed position as American citizens, most specifically and most um, poignantly because of this debt, this debt which we're going to talk about today. Before we get there, let's uh, take a minute. I didn't get to pray in the morning, and I do pray every morning when I'm home. Well, not, not, not every morning. I don't want to exaggerate. You know, exaggeration is a human invention. 
I don't do it every morning. I would like to do it every morning. And there's things I need to do every day for my well-being. And I'm trying to generate the energy in the organization to accommodate all these new roles I have in my life. But I want to stay focused on my number one mission. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and the earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our American courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. You know, it's getting very clear now to those of us who are watching what's really going on. And when you put yourself in a certain frame of mind, everything becomes very understandable. For example, our open, our open southern border, I as an American citizen naively believed that that's the border of the United States of America. So all these millions of people coming across that border, they, it freaks me out. I mean, what kind of governance is this? How could our governors allow this kind of mass migration into our sovereign nation. That's my frame of reference. And then when they all come in here, these millions of people, there's all this break back like, oh, okay, number one, they're bringing in new voters. They're bringing in illegal voters. They're going to crash the system by giving all these millions of new illegal immigrants free health care and access to educational system. All those are bandied about because we're seeking to make meaning out of this mass migration. But I'm going to give you a very simple and straightforward explanation of it. It's America, the empire. To the people that are running this country, the uni party, if I moved from Minnesota to Tennessee or from Minnesota to New York, that would be a migration no different than a subject of the empire moving from Guatemala to Minneapolis because they view it as empire, an empire without traditional borders. And when I think about it that way, wow, everything starts to get very clear to me. Political alliances, political tensions stand out in bold relief. I, you know, I was, I was stunned to read something over the weekend. I didn't know this. 
the two tribes, which are downstream of the Uni Party, which is one tribe, Uni Party, but downstream, Republicans and Democrats, leftists and conservatives, right? I didn't know this. They don't hire each other or they don't work for each other. And I, I know this from my own business. I made a very innocuous statement in a job interview. What I thought was innocuous about that the government policies cause inflation, which they do. And my uh, applicant, uh, my potential uh, new employee, got up and walked out on me. And I, I was stunned by this. Now, I am of a different political stripe than she is, but I wasn't being political. I was just stating the truth. So apparently, on the left side of the equation, inflation must be a natural force, like a volcano or an earthquake or a tornado that humans have no control over. I wasn't attempting to elicit that argument. I was just saying we're living in a period of government, um, government-caused inflation and, and how that complicates the business, complicates the business environment. And wow, out she walked, made me as a, as a conservative from that comment. Interesting. But here's one that's even more interesting. 95% of Democrats and Republicans won't marry each other because they're on two different tribal outlooks. So what does that mean? That means that the Democrat or the uni party, and let's just call it the post-World War II Democrat liberal order, which is the uni party, is more prone to make a rapprochement with the Chinese than it is with the American nationalists. Isn't that interesting? They have more common cause. Well, these are American citizens, after all. And they find more common cause with China than they do with people that are in the American nationalist movement that believe in God. Because the Uni Party doesn't believe in God, and neither do the Chinese. They're sympathetical. They can live together. You know, I there was some um, comedy many years ago that a, a two crackheads can live together, but not a crackhead and a Catholic. And there's a lot of truth to that. So the alliances and the, the uh, political cooperation that we're seeing in the world, which is so surprising to American citizens, so hard to understand, if we look at it from that perspective, who believes in God and who doesn't believe in God. And why is that critical? Because those of us that believe in God are self-governing because we believe in a series of punishments and rewards if we're Jewish or we believe in redemption through faith if we're Christian. And that is rewarded with a relationship with the supreme being. That's the reward. So that relationship governs my behavior, and I'm continuously trying to live up to a standard of behavior that is supernatural in its scope and in its inception. But if you remove that supernatural being and that whole spiritual dimension, that puts the state in control of everyone's life. And what does the state want? A larger and larger empire, always increasing in scope and power, and its ability to create dependency and control of its subjects. 
And that's what we're fighting about. And it's a political fight. I mean, we vote, and that's why I say, did you vote? And if you didn't vote, you're not voting is a vote for statism. Statism, as opposed to self-governance. So those are our two models, empire and statism, and self-governance and faith. And they're clashing throughout the world. And let us be very clear that those of us that seek self-governance, we are way, way behind in this discussion. Some 20 or 30 years or 40 years or 50 years or 60 years or four or 500 years behind in the development of this political reality we find ourselves in today. So we're going to talk about this today, and uh, what I want to talk about is the demolition of our culture. It was Andrew Breitbart that said that culture was upstream, upstream from politics, and there's truth in that, that our politics is a, snaps, a snapshot, our elections are a snapshot in time of how people think and feel, how they interact with each other. So there's definitely a... Um, importance of understanding what's happening in the cultural zeitgeist. What is being rejected and what is being erected? And the demolition of our American culture is being done so uh, systematically and so eloquently, so intellectually, um, so intellectually, it's such an intellectually developed demolition We're going to get into this, and we're going to, you know, when you take down a building, a skyscraper with explosives, those explosives have got to be put just right. They've got to be positioned just perfectly in the building. The timing of the explosions have to be perfect because the idea is to bring that building down with a minimum of effort. Because if you just went outside and hit the building with a sledgehammer, Nothing would happen. So it's a very uh, refined intellectual and scientific process to bring down a building. It's a demolition. So we're going to talk about that today. And one of the ways to you know bring down a building is uh, modern monetary theory. That's modern monetary theory. This is a theory that comes out of the leftists from the economists and most economists are leftists. Now, you would think that if you got a Ph.D. at a university about economy, you would be a business-orientated person. And that, would, that was the, um, the judgments that I had when I went to school. I remember being at the university and studying the, at that time, was the fundamental text, Samuelson, on economics. And it was really about how to make money how do businesses function? And from when I was in university to today, obviously these economic departments have moved significantly to the left, and they are just one more agency of the, of the academy using the intellectual process and the educational process to radicalize students and turn them into leftists. And the most important theory that's come out of the academy over the last 20 or 30 years has been this concept of 
Modern Monetary Theory, or MMT. And it posits that in this model, modern world, this digitized world, governments can borrow and spend without any limit. That the whole thing is a ruse, a scam, there are numbers on a screen, and that the government has the ability to interact with the populace in a way that's novel, and that debt is no longer an issue. And you know, there's this is ridiculous, right? This is a this is a laughable theory, laughable. But you know, you take 18, 19 year old kids and you run them through the university, they don't know anything. They're being socialized. They're being acculturated into a Marxist worldview, and they're only taught half that story. The other half is never spoken out, which is that there's $130 trillion of net worth in this country, retained earnings. And those retained earnings are the collateral for the government debt. So when the government debt gets big enough, the government will just foreclose on the net worth of the American people, and that will satisfy the basics of economics. In other words, if I borrow money, I must pay it back. And, you know, it's it's just very obvious to me that we're being set up. So this is not a new awareness. Could you play this piece, Elia? Uh, Ross Perot talks numbers in 1992. There is so much waste around here. And again, every time you get into see, I'm the only guy that talks numbers. Mm-hmm. I love this. Nobody else will even talk about it. It's like, I've said it's like a crazy ant in the basement. Everybody knows she's there, but nobody talks about it. I'm talking about it. Then I can talk, you know, with endless numbers about it. And then when I finish, typically the establishment press said, he didn't tell us enough. I just break up. Nobody else said anything, and I haven't said enough. Let me just talk in general terms today, since no matter how many numbers I give the press right now, it doesn't satisfy them. Number one, we cannot spend our children's money. We are looking on the edge of a revolution of young people who are starting to realize that we, our generation, have put them $4 trillion in debt, and they don't like it, and they shouldn't. Don't we love our children as much as our parents loved us? Sure we do. We cannot spend their money. Now then, that's the easy decision. The hard decision is how do you fix it? You've got to have, instead of a deteriorating job base in the economy, which is what the last 12 years have given us, we've got to have, first, you've got to stop the the decline, stabilize it, turn it into a growing job base, growing industrial base. The only way to do that is to make the finest products in the world. Now, that's something I know a lot about. We've got to put everybody that's breathing back to work in a good, solid job. Then you've got a growing tax base. But in the meantime, you've got to have a real grab and run that stops the deficit spending. So you don't lose any more financial blood. <clears throat> then with a the growing tax base, you pay off $4 trillion, and we leave the American dream to our children, which we all want. Thank you. So that's uh, Ross Perot. He was a uh, candidate for president in uh, 1992, uh, fingered as uh, sinking George H.W. Bush's attempt to be reelected. That led to the Clinton administration. Ross Perot was talking numbers. Well, you know, he said a couple of really interesting things there. Can't wrap. Well, you know, as a boomer, I got a lot of good feelings out of watching Ross Perot talking about not spending his children's money because he was talking about me. I 
and Ross Perot have the right relationship of age, that I would be Ross Perot's kid. So actually, I was taking all this responsibility for robbing the next generation, and actually, I was robbed. Isn't that interesting? So this problem's been going on for a long time. Now, at the time Ross Perot was speaking those words, 1992, the U.S. national debt was $4 trillion, $4 trillion, which in today's dollars is $8 million, $8 trillion, excuse me. <laughs> See, a million here and a million there, it ends up being real money. Eight, $4 trillion in 1992 dollars in 2023 dollars is $8 trillion. Six hundred and thirty-five billion, five hundred eighty-seven million, and four hundred eighty-seven thousand dollars, eight and a half trillion. So in twenty twenty-three dollars, based on what our debt is today, since nineteen ninety-two, we've quadrupled our national debt, even though it was a political issue of the highest order in nineteen ninety-two. In nineteen ninety-two, let's play this next. Piece, which is Ron Paul talking about the debt and the Fed. It's a little harder to follow, but it'll, it'll just underscore how long this issue has been ignored. Today the uh, hearing is to deal with monetary policy and the, and the debt ceiling and examining the relationship between the Federal Reserve and government debt. The government debt, the national debt now, is a big issue, uh, mainly because of the debt limit has once again, once again been met, and the Congress has to go through the process of raising the debt limit. And the question is, is whether or not uh, monetary policy uh, is in any way related to the debt increase. And some say that it is related, some say not so. Uh, the statistics are available to us uh, to study that, uh, that issue. But uh, to me, it looks like uh, there is a relationship. It seems like the Federal Reserve System provides a moral hazard in that as long as Congress knows that uh, Treasury bills will be bought and interest rates will not be allowed to uh, rise, Therefore, the Congress is more careless. If we had no monetization of debt, which would annoy a lot of people, I'm sure, and think the world would come to an end if that happened, uh, the Congress would be self-regulated in many ways because if we in the Congress uh, spent excessively and uh, we taxed excessively and borrowed excessively and we still didn't have enough money, to keep interest rates reasonably low, interest rates would rise, and it would be Congress that would have to respond and not be bidding uh, for so much capital out of the market, and therefore wouldn't be tempted to say, well, it really doesn't matter. We have embarked on a course that will lead us to such a consequence that will be much worse than uh, not facing up to the fact that we just can't continue to do this uh, constantly. There has to be some pressure put on the system that we can't depend on the creation of new money to accommodate the deficits that we come up to. Ultimately, uh, this process uh, 
uh, gets up and runs up against the stone wall, and I think that's where we are today. The solution hardly seems to be that just more debt and uh, depending on the Federal Reserve to come to our rescue while de devaluing the currency, which means that many people that some of this deficit financing is supposed to help actually hurts them because they're the ones who lose their, lose their jobs and then they end up with the prices going up because of the debasement of the currency. So this deficit financing uh, uh, seems like it uh, can't last uh, forever. Now in this last decade, which has been a decade of economic weakness, real income has not gone up. Good jobs have not uh, been uh, added to. They, they have been leaving our country because of our economic problems that we have. What we did was we had TARP funds and we had the Federal Reserve pump in trillions and everybody said, see, we saved ourselves from a depression. Well, maybe Wall Street didn't get their depression, but the people got the depression. You know, they lost their jobs and they lost their houses. So I can't see how, you know, uh, ringing the alarm bells and doing it just because something terrible might happen, maybe doing it will make things worse. And I think, I think what we're doing will eventually make it worse. That was Ron Paul. Uh, that was 2011. And at that time, the national debt was $14,790,000,000,000, which in today's dollars is roughly $20 trillion. And $20 trillion, now that's 2011. Okay, today, right now today, at this minute, the total U.S. debt is $33,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000
of a blown out candle. But his ideas, his ideas motivated millions of American citizens. And they went into the political process. And here in Minnesota, they rushed the Republican Party at caucuses and took over the party. And it took the party, the uni party here in Minnesota, which we call MinGOP, the outpost of the uni party here in Minnesota, it took them several years to beat these Ron Paul people into the ground. And they did it. They just stayed at it, just like they're doing with the Trump movement. Just They were just disgusting and horrifying and backstabbing and full of it. And eventually they just wore these good people out these people that cared about passing on a better country to their children as they had gotten from their parents, those kind of people, selfless people. We didn't want those people around. We didn't want people that wanted America. These globalists that inhabit MinGOP and the Uni Party are part of the empire, part of the people that don't see borders, part of the people that have no ideology about self-governance, They're about government, dependency, statism, the fourth industrial revolution, and all the things that are disfavorable to Professor Penn and the people like you who might have some simpatico with these ideas. Actually, they hate us. They hate us. And it's not personal. It's not us. They don't hate me. They hate the fact that I believe in God. They hate that because they're afraid of God. So here we are today, $33.649 trillion in debt. That's today. The interest payment on the U.S. debt, because of the rising interest rates, now for the first time exceeds $1 trillion annually. The interest on our debt now exceeds $1 trillion. Exceeds $1 trillion. And that just flips right into the next, just the perfect segue into deterrence. Deterrence. Debt and deterrence. Elliot, could you play this next one with the sub and the aircraft carriers and everything rolling into the Mediterranean? An Ohio-class submarine that can be equipped with advanced ballistic or Tomahawk cruise missiles has arrived in the Mediterranean. The move comes as the U.S. continues to bolster its military resources in the region amid the Israel-Hamas war. The Ohio-class guided missile submarines provide the U.S. Navy with unprecedented strike and special operation mission capabilities. This from a stealthy clandestine platform. They are armed with tactical missiles and equipped with superior communications capabilities. Crucially, such submarines are capable of directly supporting combatant commander strike and special operation forces requirements. The U.S. has been flying military support for Israel, including two Iron Dome missile defense systems that it had previously bought from Israel. After ordering its largest aircraft carrier to move closer to Israel, Washington deployed a second aircraft carrier. President Joe Biden is asking Americans to spend billions of dollars to help Israel fight Hamas. The U.S. has further set up a small cell of special operations forces. It is working with Israel to provide intelligence and planning as well as advice on hostage recovery efforts. The Pentagon has also ordered additional warplanes to bolster A-10, F-15 and F-16 squadrons at West Asian bases. The U.S. Defense Secretary recently ordered about 2,000 U.S. forces to be prepared to deploy if needed. 
Officials say the Biden administration has already given Israel small diameter bombs and other munitions and more will come. Beyond World is One is now available That's in your That's very good. Thank you. That's Wyon, an Indian uh, news source. And uh, it's debt, debt, and deterrence. Now, two United States aircraft carriers and their associated support vessels steamed into the eastern Mediterranean in that submarine, and things quieted down for a little bit. They quieted down. That's deterrence. The debt passes and will reach $34 trillion, $1 trillion in interest payments. How will the deterrence be funded when the debt is consuming all of our budget? How's that supposed to work? Because these interest rates are not done going up. They're about halfway up the, the flagpole of where they're headed, which means these debt payments are going to be $2 trillion, I mean, if we're still here together, God willing, thank you, God, for keeping us together. And we're sitting here in two years, and the debt payment's going to be, the interest payment's going to be $2 trillion, $2.5 trillion. You know, this is not sustainable, so they're going to have to take the money from somewhere. This modern monetary theory is a scam, total scam, for very bright young college students will become stewards of governance, and their brains are no good. They were never taught how to think. My daughter called me uh, from Columbia. It's interesting. I got a couple of very leftist daughters, and my podcast and circumstances are helping them see some shortcomings in leftism. And my daughter at Columbia said to me, she goes, Dad, these people are stupid, and they are. So the question is, if those are our best and brightest students at Columbia, stupid, and then they get jobs working in government, our government is stupid. You know, it's really easy to manipulate stupid people. And my daughter started talking to me about critical thinking and how great it was that she could think great. I said, wait, 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 sweetheart. Critical thinking is nothing to brag about. It's the first step to do anything in your life, to be able to think critically. And apparently, they've removed that from our educational curriculum. Great, fantastic. Isn't that great? And I can see that in my business career. I talk to people. If I don't tell them exactly what to do, they do nothing. Well, that's a real adjustment for me. Where I came from, if you're in a work organization and there was nothing to do, you found something to do, to contribute. Your mind was always working about what to do next. Apparently, that's no longer part of the deal. That would be called a lack of productivity. So you get a lack of productivity with a rising debt. And how are we going to continue to develop weapons of deterrence? And the answer is, the American citizens are going to be taxed to pay for it. That's why I say empire and self-governance are in contradiction one to the other. We cannot be free. 
as American citizens and support this empire. But of course, you know, we're all kind of into this empire, to be quite frank with you. All of us, in our own kind of kinky ways, leftists, rightists, up, down, and around, everybody wants to be on the winning team, right? So if you're a leftist, hey, empire, great. And in that case, it's the spreading of the three pillars of the globalist order, right? We know what they are. Social equity, climate change, and democracy. And, you know, democracy means a woman's right to choose. So they want to spread. The leftists want to spread this ideology throughout the world. They're doing a great job of it. And the rightists of the uni party, they're sitting there going, give us more aircraft carriers. Give us more aircraft carriers. I mean, one could say that the the disagreement in the world is between the neocons, who are the kind of the remnants, kind of they're kind of America firsters in their own weird way, and the Davos crowd that are pure globalists. In other words, the neocons are advancing globalism run by America, and the Davos crowd, they're advancing globalism run by China or a Chinese model. You know, we got to work these things out. Here we are, the America firsters, people that want a government that is focused on the American people, on the well-being of the American people, on the citizenship of the American people, on faith in God, family, you know, tradition, those ideas. Hey, we're so written out of this thing, we don't recognize how far written out of it we really are. You know, you can tell when they say, oh, Trump's ahead in the polls, but it's neck and neck. You know, we're always heading the polls, and we always lose on Election Day. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that since 2018, the Republican movement, the American First movement, is always ahead in the polls and always loses, us, always loses since 18. I mean, always, is, it's not a cognitive distortion. 18, 20, 22, lost on Election Day. I need a strategy for this in my own mind. Got to have a strategy. So we got two nuclear, uh, we've got two aircraft carriers, they're nuclear aircraft carriers, a nuclear-powered submarines. We got B-1B bombers flying around over in the Middle East, F-16s, F-22s. We got troops. We got Iron Dome support. I mean, we're there. We're there defending the empire. And the United States government, our military, was nice enough to release a statement telling the American people what the goal was of all this military buildup in the eastern Mediterranean. And I read it, and I'm going to share it with you. There's nothing really exciting about it other than they've written it down. What's nice about our government is they write it down. Number one, we have all of these new assets in the region you like this, for the protection of U.S. forces and citizens in the region. And my question would be, why are U.S. forces and citizens in the region? What are we doing there? Because we have a lot of military assets in this region, U.S. military assets, and they've sent these tremendous weapons of war into the eastern Mediterranean to protect the outposts of our empire, why are we there? 
how does it benefit me that there are U.S. military bases all over this region? What's the benefit to me? What is the benefit? What's the benefit to you? Number two, the flow of critical security assistance to Israel as a defense against further Hamas terrorist attacks. So our assets are being put there to flow critical security assistance to Israel. Okay, sounds like a good business. Number three, coordination with the Israelis to help secure the release of hostages held by Hamas to include American citizens. And number four, here's the the great bottom line, right? Strengthening a force posture across the region to deter any state or non-state actors from escalating the crisis beyond Gaza. Strengthening of our force posture. In other words, we already already got a force there. We already have a force in the region. We have lots of American military assets in this region, and we're strengthening that force to deter state or non-state actors from aggression. Well, one might say the presence of American forces in the region might be an inflaming and precipitating anti-American sentiment throughout the region. Like, for example, if I woke up today and there was, let's say, the ISIS army in downtown Minneapolis, it would probably piss me off. But a case, you know, it's interesting. The bar door does not swing both directions. Somehow, we have in our neocon globalist mindset that we can put our bases anywhere in the world And we have a right to do so because, of course, we're the defenders of the post-World War II Democrat liberal order, the liberal order, the Democrat liberal order. Well, we're going to talk about what that means today. What is the Democrat liberal order? What is it and what is it being juxtaposed against? And that would be what was called and coined as Judeo-Christianity. Oh, now we're getting down to it. Culture. Culture is upstream of politics. The clash of cultures. The historical Judeo-Christian roots of Western culture and the New World Order, the Democrat liberal order. Wow. Getting clear about this now, aren't we? And as we think about these issues, I just want to say there gets to be some very, very pedantic power plays that go on that are ancillary to the big game that may be the most important part that we never hear about. Like, for example, Egypt. Egypt joined BRICS. BRICS is the alternative to the G7. That's the Chinese-run economic cooperation on a worldwide basis that governs trade. And there was all this talk about they wanted to start their own currency. That was a cover story really is going on with BRICS is there's an alternative trading architecture being created based on the Chinese Belt and Road, which is a threat to the globalists that are aligned with American hegemony. They're arguing over the split, right? I mean, that's all it is. And Egypt owes big money to the International Monetary Fund, 
which is a creation of the United States in the post-World War II Democrat liberal order, and they want to renegotiate. They're broke. And what the IMF never does is give you a break. They never write off any of the debt. They just restructure. And because Egypt has joined the BRICS, Russia and China are heavily pressuring, heavily pressuring the IMF to write down that debt, which, of course, the IMF said pound sand. And Israel said to Egypt, if you'll take, and I don't know why Israel was able to do this, Israel was able to say to the Egyptians, if you'll take these Palestinians, the IMF will write your debt off. You know what? They're brokering a deal. And the Egyptians again said pound sand because they're backed up by the Chinese. And in times of war, people start stealing things. So it's possible that Egypt, after many, many decades of dependency upon and alignment with America since Sadat made peace with Israel, it's possible they're going to say, hey, write it off. We're with the Chinese now. And even more potent, even more important, is Turkey in this region. They also have a tremendous dollar debt problem, inflation of over 100%. President Erdogan wants to be the new sultan of the Sunni world. You know, Turkey's a NATO member, so there's a lot of tension here. They're in NATO, and Erdogan wants to lead the Sunni world or even the Islamic world, which requires Erdogan to align with Hamas, which is a strange position for a NATO member to be in. So they also have tremendous economic problems, and they also could write off their dollar-denominated debt and join the BRICS and align against the West and leave NATO. This is a tectonic shift that's going on here. There's a lot of subtext about the money. And it plays out, and let me just show you how it's playing out. Elliot, can you play this piece on the protest in uh, Turkey? This convoy of thousands of cars is heading to Turkey's southern city of Adana, which hosts Angelic Air Base, one of the largest NATO bases in the Middle East. The protest is a show of solidarity with Palestinians. I'm attending this convoy uh, to make all of the people all over the world hear about what Palestinian people live in Gaza uh, by the brutality of uh, Israel. Angelic Air Base is used by the U.S. Air Force during its strikes and reconnaissance operations in the region. It hosts more than a thousand American troops. Organizers of the protest want the Turkish government to close the base. Wherever there's oppression in the world, it is facilitated by the U.S. That is why, to stop what is happening in Gaza, we are going to Enshirlik Air Base and we are calling on all people around the world to surround the American bases and stop the oppression. The IHH Humanitarian Relief Foundation is the main sponsor of the convoy. It also organized Gaza Freedom Flotilla in 2010, an effort to break Israel's naval blockade of the Strip. Six vessels loaded with humanitarian aid set sail from Istanbul. But Israeli forces raided the ships and killed 10 Turkish and American activists. That led to the severing of diplomatic relations between Turkey and Israel. Now the foundation wants to organize another aid flotilla. And this time it's asking President Recep Tayyip Erdogan to deploy Turkish naval forces as well. 
Sayın Cumhurbaşkanımız. Mr. President, this nation trusts you. Now the nation wants you to send a flotilla carrying humanitarian aid to Gaza and Turkish naval forces to guard the flotilla. The U.S. military has increased security at the base in anticipation of protests. The convoy is scheduled to arrive at Injilik Air Base on Sunday afternoon when U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is due to meet his Turkish counterpart here in Ankara. Organizers say they want to put pressure on both the Turkish and American governments to end the war in Gaza. Resul Serdar, Al Jazeera, Ankara. I uh, noted that the noted neocon Mark Levin called Al Jazeera Nazis. That's great. They have a street corner from which they are presenting information. I'm not saying I agree with their editorial content. I didn't see a lot of coverage in the U.S. press this weekend of these protests in Turkey, which are a harbinger of change because there are no protests in Turkey unless the government asks for it. You go out and protest in Turkey without government support, you're going to get machine gunned. Go look it up. So the government is now starting to foment Unrest against the American military presence in Turkey. And this is another sign of the tectonic geopolitical plates shifting around these issues. And, you know, we live in America. We've been the beneficiary of a, a great cultural tradition of economic prosperity and spiritual integrity, which has been eroded over many, many decades, and uh, the erosion of American power is uh, intentional. It is going on within our government. People within our government believe in it, that American power has to be redistributed, that America itself is just a word. It's really about that post-World War II rules-based order, that empire, that empire. And what is that empire? It's a godless empire. Doesn't matter if it's your Chinese governance or a American governance or French governance. If it's godless, it's statist, all they're doing is arguing about the split. They're not arguing about the freedom of the citizens to self-govern. They're just arguing about the money split. And that money comes from an exploitation of citizens through debt. Isn't that wonderful? Demolition. It's all about demolition. Elliot, could you play this uh, clip on demolition? Two, one, fire. Let it go a second time, please. Down it comes. And how was it done? Thank you very much. How was that done? That was done because very educated and accomplished structural engineers know exactly where to put small explosive charges in a building, a building that has stood for decades, has stood up in thunderstorms, maybe in hurricanes, maybe it's withstood earthquakes, 
It's housed hundreds of thousands of people. It's hundred. It's millions of tons. It could stand for centuries. So well constructed is it of steel and concrete. But if you find the weak spots, or if you find the spots upon which the structure rests, the fundamentals to the structure, the cultural fundamentals, if we're talking about Western culture, but in a building, if you find the structural fundamentals and you blow those up very carefully with not a lot of explosives, you can actually get the building to collapse, to implode. And, of course, we have something here that's the analog of a structural engineer who would be called a cultural anthropologist. A cultural anthropologist. So what I'm going to speak about now, I'm going to speak about it within the context of cultural anthropology, not within the context of preaching. Because what I'm talking about is culture, upstream of politics. And I'm talking about what's termed the Judeo-Christian culture of the United States of America. Now, Judeo-Christian, we've had that term my entire life. Heard it since I'm a kid. But, of course, it's a constructed term, and it's not a very old term. Really comes from the 19th century, and it first appeared as a word for Jewish converts to Christianity. It was picked up progressively over the period of time to characterize the relationship between the predominant Christian culture and its Judaic roots, because we have an Old Testament and a New Testament. And as we've talked about, you know, Jesus said he did not come to abolish the old law, he came to fulfill it. So there was a a relationship there. And then, of course, it became even more handy when the um, anti-Semitism of Europe culminated in the Holocaust, and it was a way to uh, blunt or to uh, handle or to minimize American anti-Semitism during the war period and right after, Judeo-Christian. It created an alignment between Christians and Jews. Now, it's kind of a tenuous alignment, but it does talk about our culture, and it, 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 really, it really talks about what are the fundamentals, the fundamentals that undergird Judeo-Christianity, what are the fundamental structural pieces that a cultural anthropologist could identify that hold up our Western culture, which is being demolished. It's being demolished by debt. And, of course, that's a fundamental. Neither a borrower nor a lender be. Thoroughly biblical, the Bible warned, don't borrow money, don't lend money. No good. Well, we have this huge debt, so there's, there's an easy one. That's very material, right? That's not at the heart of it. That's peripheral. What has been done to our culture to get it to implode like this, for it to come down? Where do these cultural anthropologists put the depth charges, the explosive charges, to bring down this giant edifice that organized the thinking and actions of billions of people? Because that's what culture does. Culture is a survival strategy that organizes the activities and behaviors of billions of people. Oh, a small culture could organize five people. Culture is culture. Can organize a handful of people, can organize the planet. And that's what, of course, they're heading for, is for one worldwide culture. 
that organize the activities of everyone, eliminating what they would call tribalism or nationalism. We've talked about that relationship ideologically in the minds of these academics between tribalism and nationalism and nationalism and extremism. They've created a bunch of uh, false relationships to nullify nationalism and aggrandize globalism. And then they got to take that nationalist sentiment down. They got to put the depth charges in just right. They got to put those explosive charges in there so the culture collapses. So let's talk about, not as a preacher, but as an anthropologist, let's talk about the fundamentals of this Judeo Christian culture. This is from Professor Penn's perspective. Of course, this is not written down anywhere. I got to think it through for myself. You may have other ideas, and please put them in the live chat if I've missed one you think is important. God has power over life and death. That's the fundamental. That's the fundamental. That's there you get a depth charge on that one. And of course, we have 1 Samuel 2 6. God has power even over life and death. The idea that God makes decisions about human life, that human life is not in my hands. I don't commit suicide. I don't murder. Because, of course, it says, thou shalt not kill. There's no murdering. There's no killing. There's no suicide. God has power over life and death. That's the fundamental. That is a fundamental, right? Matthew 22, 39, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm just bringing up biblical verses because they encapsulate the structure of our American culture, which is upstream of politics, and that culture is being systematically and carefully demolished. Play this next uh, thing about this celebration, please. Crowds of people cheering the uh, abortion vote in Ohio this last week. Passed with 60% of the vote. Abortion is health care. And abortion access is the law of the land in Ohio. Thanks to the work that you have all done. Well, I'm not going to get into the weeds about uh, abortion. I'm just going to talk about demolition. So uh, what came up there was uh, so interesting. The And this has been going on. I've, I never really thought about it, but, you know, abortion is not health care. That's a slogan. It can be health care, an ectopic pregnancy, for example, or a condition that threatens the life of the mother. There are issues which make it 
purely health care. But what it is is purely, uh, you know, birth control. It, it is a way to, let's just call it what it is. I'm not here to judge about it. I'm here to talk about what it is doing to our culture. And God's power over life and death has been nullified because, as that doctor said, now women are the owners and in charge of their own bodies. They do not see themselves as children of God. They are masters of their own universe. Now, you've just put a big explosive charge on a fundamental timber that holds up our culture. But we're not done. Let's talk about the, um, I'm going to read this. Now, most of you have heard this before. And I'm not reading this again to be biblical. I'm reading it because this is the creation myth of our culture. All cultures have a creation myth. How do we get here? This is what's being overturned. And there are parts of this which are very critical to understand. Please humor me. The creation myth of Western culture being systematically unwound. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. The serpent said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, this is Genesis 3, if you've never read it, please do so. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? The man answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pain in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to your wife 
and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Elliot, can you play this next piece about the uh, fantastic life that the Chinese are living? Thank you. the Marina Bay Sands and um, it is one of the iconic attractions of Singapore. If you want to impress your friends, bring them here. It's got a great view, especially from Celebi. The real crazy rich Asians actually come to Marina Bay Sands, especially for the food and also casinos. They've got a lot of celebrity chef restaurants that serve really awesome food. International cuisine, um, you name it, we have it. Right now, we're in 1880, an exclusive members club. Let me take you around. I fell in love with this place immediately. I love the decor. When we come here, we actually bring our business clients as well. They are actually able to do a manicure. The men were able to shave and then we can have drinks after and have a nice dinner till late at night and it becomes like a mini club. I think the people who come here are like movers and shakers of Singapore. Could be expats, could be, you know, crazy rich Asians. I think the interiors kind of bring people together. It's a great place to socialize. Thank you. So let's keep that image in our mind that we're supposed to aspire to here in Western culture and Eastern culture, globalist culture. Read this again, because this tells me everything I need to know. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Okay, crazy rich Asians. Whoa. Whoa. See, now this is, this is called rebellion against the traditional underpinnings of our culture. It's an overthrow, and it's an overthrow on so many different levels, and I don't want to preach. I'm going to leave it to you to think it through because I know that you can't. And if you haven't read the Bible, buy one not to become this, that, or thus, or so, but to understand the literature that is the foundation of everything that came afterward. Because you can read the, you know, Marx, or you can read the postmodernists and the deconstructionists and any 
political, uh, philosophical text that's been written, and they're all based on or a juxtaposition to or repudiation of the Hebrew Bible. And later on, of course, the New Testament. Here's another one, right out of the Bible. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. In other words, God gave man dominion over all things. Let's play this next one, Elia. A different cause, but similar scenes. As French protesters ram a message home, this time supposedly environmental. In Saint-Soline in the west of France, police footage shows an apparent mix of genuine climate change protesters and violent disruptors. Today, as I see images of the extreme violence against the police of this nation, I want to give them my full support and to say we are at their side and that these violent outbursts are absolutely unforgivable. The demonstration was against plans to build a large water reservoir for farm irrigation after the driest winter on record and a drought last year. But families described being trapped in clouds of tear gas, as police said around 1,000 known troublemakers from across Europe took over using explosives and carrying weapons. Those scenes echo unrest in Paris and across the country in recent days in separate protests against President Macron's plans to raise the retirement age to 64, all amid growing condemnation over police violence. It's been a troubled week in France with protests all over the country and a nation now bracing itself for another big day of strikes over pension reform next week. Meanwhile, police and protesters have been injured and more like this is expected with some now criticizing the violent turn of demonstrations as distracting from wider issues at the heart of French resistance sweeping the country. Adele Robinson, Sky News, France. So, uh, <laughs> you know, man has been given dominion over all things. No, we have violent protests burning the place down to overturn that idea. I'm not here to make a judgment. I'm just sharing with you how systematically the fundamentals of Western culture are being overturned. Let's try another one. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Let's play this next one. Dr. Levine, the Human Rights Campaign has declared 2021 to be on track to becoming, quote, the worst year for anti-LGBTQ legislation in recent history. Why are transgender Americans the focal point of so much enmity in the states right now? I think a lot of that is political. I think that there are people that are using transgender individuals as a wedge issue. And stop, so please. that is- Stop uh, that. Just have to stop this. This is so honest. When Rachel Levine says there are individuals using transgender people you know, as a wedge issue, That'd be the left using it as a wedge issue. This is a completely uh, transparent, you know, sometimes when you're interviewed, the truth tumbles out by accident. Maybe Rachel Levine's not too smart. 
I don't know. But the wedge issue, this is a 100% generated by the left. And, of course, the uniparty right can't help but to pick it up because it's great. Please continue. Um, precipitating some of the very challenging and difficult bills um, in, in, in many of the states. It's so hard to see these bills which target transgender youth. Mm. Transgender youth are, are vulnerable. They're vulnerable to bullying and harassment. And, you know, they need to, to be supported and to be advocated for and not to have bills that limit their participation in activities such as, such as sports. And the most egregious bills are the ones that, uh, that prohibit their accessing gender-affirming care. Trans kids, when they are supported and nurtured and receive um, evidence-based, state-of-the-art medical care, do really, really well. And so th these bills uh, actually are going to harm people. Well, that's interesting. So God created... Uh Male and female, and with the right medical care, hey, anything's possible. Isn't that great? Okay, God decrees the traditional family. I'm just going to read this one. Genesis 2, 21 through 24. And I urge you to read the Bible as a starting point for all future academic inquiry. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Oh, great, man and woman. And the traditional family. And the traditional family. A man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The traditional family, man and woman. Another fundamental building block of Western culture, very carefully confronted and overturned through politics. Work ethic. Here's a great one. Uh, Thessalonians 3.10. Listen to this one. This is going to sound quite capitalist. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall they eat. Oh, oh, let's listen to this one. Let's pop this next one up here. There you go. Thank you. I think the best thing would be to start with a job. No. Yeah, absolutely. No. She needs a job. And I think it would be great if you volunteered some more at the soup kitchen. You could do some great volunteer work down there. I did that. No. I started with a babysitter. I think my first job was at IHOP. Oh, you don't pay me to babysit. He makes me babysit for free. She doesn't need a job babysitting. She needs a job in the world. No. She doesn't need Absolutely a job at home. Not. She needs a job in the world. You, you need a job. No, I don't want a job. Well, I know. It's so much work. <laughs> but you, know, I'm so tired from work. I don't want to do that. Great, isn't it? I bet she doesn't have to starve. She doesn't work, she'll still eat. And guess who's paying for it? 
See, this is one of the ways we undermine the culture, this kind of idea. Here's a great one. God-centered education, Deuteronomy 6-7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Ephesians 6, 4, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. A God-centered education. Well, let's listen to this next one. Tonight, a Roanoke County School Board meeting... ending in chaos. It started out with discussions over two controversial policies. One has to do with classroom displays and decorations following concerns over pride decor at Glen Cove Elementary. The new policy unanimously approved by the board says it's inappropriate for teachers to use decorations in a classroom that display any political, socio-political, or religious belief. Hidden Valley High School teacher Kimberly Irvin says the board is saying one thing, but acting in a different way. Your proposed policies state the removal of politically motivated items, and yet all you do is push your political agenda on our schools. I am struggling to understand how you can have it both ways. The board followed up with a discussion over the new transgender student model policies from the Virginia Department of Education. The policies require teachers to use names and pronouns of students based on their official records. It also requires students to use bathrooms based on the sex they were assigned at birth unless their parents opt them out. While going over the policies, parents and students began the outbursts and were asked to clear the room. While some were cooperative, others were not. Once the room cleared, board members expressed their disappointment. Nights like tonight are, are not good for anybody. They're not good for our school system. They're not good for our students. They're not good for the community. The board adjourned with just this sign left in the audience. And then, of course, there's accountability in Hebrews 9.27, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, which is really kind of another fundamental piece of the way we traditionally thought about things. We sought a reward or a, you know, an inclusion in a, in a heaven after the end of our earthly sojourn. And one could say, that this kind of systemic assault on a culture, taking out the fundamentals so that the culture falls, one could say that that would require, and I said it earlier and I'll say it again, it might require a kind of supernatural organization. Because, you know, are really people this smart to figure this out over time? Well, it seems like they are, but this has... Deep roots goes back a long way. This is a change in people's thinking. I think it's supernatural, and I'll talk about that, but let's just take a look at what happens when you knock out the timbers that hold up a building. Let's play it one more time. Here's another one for you.
Unbelievable. Whoa. That's good. Thank you. You know, why do we do this like this? I mean, what, what's the cultural benefit of taking a building down like this? Well, it's cheaper and easier than deconstructing the building in some other fashion, and it preserves the surrounding infrastructure. So how do you take down the edifice of Western culture and yet preserve the infrastructure? Whoa, this is quite a project they got going on here. And, you know, essentially they've won. And this is the, this is the most difficult uh, piece that we in the American first nationalist movement have got to get our minds around. It's not to say that there couldn't be a victory, that there couldn't be a miracle. I'm not precluding miracles, and I'm not precluding a victory. Let's say that Donald Trump wins in 2024, and he's president until 2028. Hey, there's a 2029. There's a, you know, 2032. There's a 2036. You know, this is a long-term project, and it's being fought mostly in the schools. And the progressive movement of education, as we covered in an earlier podcast, started in the early 1900s. They called it progressive education. In other words, before the progressive movement in education, education was religious, not secular. It was secularized very intentionally, very systematically, by intellectuals who sought to overthrow the focus on the religious in the educational life of children. And the rest is history. And nothing's really changing that. I mean, this is this is an edifice of incredible strength. I mean, what we need to do in the in the believing nationalist movement is figure out how to implode that architecture, which really is in control now. And I'll just say, you know, and, and not to be judgmental, I'm just gonna say the way it is here in Minnesota where I know the politics well. There is a growing awareness in the Republican movement, even in the Republican nationalist movement, the non-uni party movement, that abortion is an issue that cannot be won by the right or the conservatives, that the, the voters who are motivated to vote come to the polls like they did in Ohio, and they overwhelmingly vote for abortion rights up till the moment of birth. I mean, that's just a fact. Let's not get into the judging. Let's get into the reality of where we're at here as a movement because we're going to have to work this through as a movement. And there are people like Ron DeSantis or even President Trump that are saying, let's cut a deal on this issue. Let's walk it back. Let's walk it back from a nine-month abortion to 12 weeks or 16 weeks. Let's put some, some guardrails around this abortion issue. And we have to understand here that in Minnesota, if the Republican Party does that or the Republicans do that, the so-called Republicans, or the nationalists do that, about 30% of those that would vote for the Republican side of the Uni Party ticket, which is also going to be where the nationalists are going to show up, about 30% of those people will not vote again. That would be the religious, conservative Christians who view this fundamental that God has the power over life and death 
and they're not going to compromise on this issue. So the, the communists have found a cudgel to bash the traditional with, which seems not to have an easy answer. It's dividing the country between Republicans and Democrats, and then it's further dividing the Republican Party between staunch, faithful Christians and the Uni Party wing of the Republican Party. And this is not a, a, a thing that's easily resolved. Uh, it's a issue that is a wedge issue, a so-called wedge issue. It was erected as a wedge issue, and it only worked as a wedge issue because the culture upstream, upstream of politics, that religious education where women might have believed and have been taught that to aggrandize their ego and their life path over God's life and mastery over life, that this would have been a sin, a sin to aggrandize my personal life, my personal financial success over the Adamic curse where I'm supposed to toil to try to escape that. That's a sin, right? I mean, it, it undoes the fundamentals. So had people been educated in humility and in uh, submission instead of being educated in the progressive movement, then the decision about life and death would have been made upstream of politics, and this would have never been a wedge issue. But once people were led to believe that their ego, that their intellect, was the most powerful thing on earth and in the universe, which we are led to believe. It's all about me. Once we believe that, then it's very natural for women to say, A, I want to have power over my own bodily decisions, and B, I'm not going to serve men. That's crazy. And here we sit, divided, men and women, you know, with Eve blaming the serpent and man blaming Eve. We haven't come very far. Now, people discredit Genesis. They discredit it as a fairy tale. I mean, obviously, it's, there's an, allegor, an allegorical nature to it. But if you read it, the issues that are expressed within it are the very issues that are in front of us today. The serpent, the devil, tempted Eve with the ability to develop wisdom, and she ate of it, and she became wise, and she served it up to her mate, Adam, who ate of it, because instead of following God's word, you know, he was in love with his woman. Well, hey. That's part of the deal, right? You know, we put our women first. How does that work out for you all out there? You know, men and women both were traditionally raised to put God first. That was the goal, to be focused on God exclusively and only in our lives. And, of course, that's what's being overthrown because my dependence on God is savage. It's not educated. It doesn't reflect modernity. Professor Penn believes in a fairy tale. Therefore, as Hillary Clinton recently said, I need to go to a re-education camp 
to be taken out of this very um, primitive thought form, which is getting in the way with us developing the Democrat liberal order, which we're spreading throughout the world under force of arms. You know, if something had moral legitimacy, you wouldn't have to back it up with aircraft carriers, would you? Something to think about. If our moral position in the world had real legitimacy on a worldwide basis, if it was such a great idea that it needed to be imposed on other cultures, we wouldn't have to impose it at the end of a bayonet. People would uptake it on their own. So we sit here watching the edifice of Western culture destroyed. It's destroyed. Let's start there. You know, my, my grandfather always said, and I've been mentioning my grandfather lately because I love him and he loved me, he used to say, if you understand a problem, you can solve it. So let's get away from, you know, confusing ourselves and tricking ourselves and telling ourselves a BS story. The left has won the intellectual headspace of the culture. The traditional underpinnings of our culture that existed since the Declaration of Independence, they've been detonated and the culture is imploding. The artifice, the, the edifice, not the artifice, the edifice of our culture, well, the edifice is being imploded by artifice. <laughs> it kind of works together nice. Good T-shirt. So let's start there. It's a, it's a rather uh, depressing message. I understand that. But to be depressed and have clarity is better than to tell ourselves a lie and jack ourselves up on lies. Let's start where we are. I'm going to start where I am, and I want to start at that spot of the complete destruction of the religious edifice that undergirded our culture and start to work back from there. What can I do in my own life as a political response to this reality. That's where we're going to start next time. This is a question we're going to keep asking ourselves. I'm looking forward to your feedback. I want to thank you for your feedback. We didn't do the Tire Get Live read today because the next time we do it, hey, we're going to be in business on this thing. So I want to thank you for your support of Free People Radio. Thank you for your support of Tire Get. We're trying to be, you know, internally funded here. I want to thank you for all of your community support, clicking the like button, leaving comments spreading the content out to your friends, to your family, because, of course, the algorithm does not work in our favor. Thank you for visiting Please Call Me Crazy. Hebrews is now operational. I want to wish you a great week. It's Tuesday night. We'll see you again on Thursday, and thanks very much for joining.